Alright second grade parents, welcome back to Raise Ready Kids, where month by month you master the strategies you need to raise kids with the knowledge, skills, character, and purpose they need to thrive. I'm Bill Jackson, founder of Raise Ready Kids and your host this month. When I was about seven years old, my mother read E.B. White's Trumpet of the Swan out loud to me. Reflecting back on this experience 50 years later, I actually think it was one of the seminal events of my early life. This book tells the story of Louis, a trumpeter swan who was born without a voice. At great personal risk, his father flies to Billings, Montana and smashes the window of the local music store to steal a trumpet for his son to use to communicate. With the trumpet, Louis learns how to make the sounds of a swan, woos Serena, the swan love of his life, and finds employment among humans so he can earn the money needed for his father to repay the owner of the music store for the stolen trumpet. Trumpet of the Swan is also about a boy named Sam Beaver, who, more than his father or other adults, is able to walk softly and open his eyes to see Louis and his family in the wild. Ultimately, the book is about taking risks for people you love, never giving up when you really want something, serendipity, and the importance of making things right when you wrong another person. I don't know that Trumpet of the Swan is necessarily any better than many other children's books out there, but I do know that this book made me want to be in nature, and it seeded a vision of the good life for me, adventurous, honorable, communal, and relentlessly committed to achieving goals. All that I hope to say in books, all that I ever hope to say, is that I love the world, White once wrote to a reader. Listening to my mother read Trumpet of the Swan was one of the first moments in my life when I fell in love with the world. Second grade parents, take a moment and think back on a book or a story that really mattered to you when you were a child. Can you remember how the book made you feel? Did it change your understanding of the world or your understanding of yourself? If a parent or another adult read the book aloud to you, can you remember what their voice sounded like? As I grew up, books continued to play an important role in my life. I read independently through middle and high school, mostly history and biography. Then in my 20s, I joined a book club, which was really sort of an eating club in disguise. Each month, the host was responsible for making dinner for the group. The night we discussed The English Patient, which takes place in North Africa, I cooked up a North African dinner. I still remember the amazing aroma of those roasted goat ribs. I remember some of the books, too. In East of Eden, John Steinbeck introduced me to the sights, sounds, and feel of a place, the Salinas Valley, with a richness I had not experienced before. In his biography, Bill Bradley explained the history of the water wars in California, and helped me understand the role the federal government played in making California what it is today. It's been a few decades since we disbanded, but I still remember my friend Peter's compassion. Peter was one to linger with characters and let them seep into himself so that he could feel what they felt and understand what they understood. Peter influenced me to take more time to get to know characters, and I've loved him for it. Chip always had his antenna up for shoddy thinking or hypocrisy. When we read biographies, he could be a brutal critic. Where I saw accomplishment or interesting thinking, he might see superficial analysis and self-promotion. Chip influenced me to bring a more critical eye to what I read, to ask deeper questions about what was motivating an author, and I loved him for it. 
In a good book club, you think about ideas and people in ways that you might otherwise not on your own. As the author and podcaster Sarah McKenzie writes, you deepen your friendships too, because you get glimpses into your friends' minds and souls as you discuss what makes them weep or laugh and what surprises or scares them. People love book clubs because they feel good. They enrich our lives with powerful ideas, human connection, and personal growth. People treasure this kind of time together, especially when you throw in some good food. Second grade parents. Fostering this kind of feeling in your child now and over the next 10 years is the key to raising a kid who will choose to read when they're 16, 36, or 76. Book Club Culture, our Raise Ready Kids strategy for the month, shows you how. Book Club Culture has four components. One, surround your child with books that excite and delight them. Two, read aloud with your child all the way into middle school. Three, share delights, ideas, and personal growth that come from books. And four, create distraction-free zones where reading can flourish. Collectively, these same ideas make appearances throughout Raise Ready Kids in multiple grades because they are so important for so long. Although the books your child is reading will change, your goal of fostering the spirit of a book club in your home should not. This is the spirit that will motivate your child to keep reading even when other, flashier activities beckon. Step one is to introduce your child to books that excite and delight them. If your child is on track learning to read, you've got a lot more options than you did in first grade. Books are getting more interesting as the plots and characters get more sophisticated. To get your child reading more good books, I suggest you think of your role as a literary matchmaker. Matchmakers can't guarantee that their clients will fall in love. All they can do is carefully introduce people to others they think will be a good match. Similarly, as a literary matchmaker, your role is to introduce your child to books that might catch their fancy. So, what makes a good book? Let me suggest three factors. First, a good writer knows how to create a vivid scene in your mind. You can see, hear, sometimes even smell the place to which the author has transported you to. Second, good books broaden horizons. They introduce you to places, people, and ideas you've never encountered or thought much about before. Third, and perhaps most important, good books touch an emotional chord. A good book leaves you more grateful to be alive, Sarah McKenzie writes. You close the final pages of the book a little breathless, a little more in awe of the great and glorious world. The book may be tragic, like Bridge to Terabithia by Catherine Patterson, moving, like A Single Shard by Linda Sue Park, or goofy and nonsensical, like The Thirteen Clocks by James Thurber. Regardless, it leaves you with a feeling you find difficult to express in words, amazement at the world, and awe for life, a gratitude for humanity and its quirkiness, its messiness, its vitality. Good children's books have these impacts on adults as well as children. That's good news because it means you are well positioned to be a good judge of books for your child. So how do you find these books? Start with people who know your child and who know books. Your child's teacher, and if your school has a good one, your elementary school librarian. Then try book lists, which Sarah McKenzie describes as training wheels for parents. Websites such as greatschools.org and books such as How to Raise a Reader by Pamela Paul and Maria Russo are great places to start. As McKenzie points out, 
the moment of transformation when a child progresses from not reading much to being a voracious reader often happens with lighter fare. If lighter books are capturing your child's attention, let it be. If your child is getting hooked on reading with Cam Jansen, Warrior Cats, Geronimo Stilton, or Calvin and Hobbes, that's just fine. Continue to read aloud with other books that offer richer vocabulary and a wider range of characters and plots. It doesn't really matter what kind of reading your child is doing if they're into it. Just like adults, kids like a wide range of things. Graphic novels and comics for kids are much richer and higher quality than they used to be, and they're a great way for your child to learn to read and learn to love reading. Show curiosity and appreciation for what your child is reading, even if it holds no interest for you personally, and never criticize their reading preferences. And finally, it doesn't matter whether your child reads a physical book or an electronic device such as a Kindle. What matters is that your child is reading. Step two is to read aloud all the way into middle school. Second grade parents, as your child begins to want to read more on their own, you may be tempted to stop reading to them. Avoid this temptation. At this stage, children can listen to far more advanced stories than they can read themselves. Their reading level doesn't catch up to their listening level until about 8th grade. Listening to more advanced stories will enrich their vocabulary, as well as expose them to stories with more interesting characters and plots. When you read aloud to your child, you're introducing them to books that they may not be interested in or motivated to read on their own. When your child is still into beginning reader series like Geronimo Stilton, Hearing a book like The Phantom Tollbooth will motivate them to continue developing their own reading skills so they can read books like that. So keep reading aloud to your child all the way through elementary and into middle school, consulting books like Pamela Paul and Maria Russo's How to Raise a Reader, Sarah McKenzie's Read Aloud Revival, and Jim Trellis's Read Aloud Handbook for guidance and book suggestions. Pay attention to new vocabulary as best as you can when you read to your child. If you see what you think will be an unfamiliar word, stop at the end of the sentence and ask them if they know what the word means. If they don't, explain the word and reread the sentence. Or feel free to skip a sentence or a section that's just too detailed or nuanced for your child to grasp. Worried that your kids won't want to attend your read-alouds? Make them cozy and bring food. Read with blankets and bring out popcorn, apples, brownies, whatever works. They'll come for the food and stay for the story. Also, you don't actually have to do all the reading out loud yourself. You can let audiobooks do the talking during car rides or when you're doing something together around the house. And you don't have to do it for long. Ten minutes a day is enough to share the adventure and warm feelings that come from reading aloud together. Finally, you don't have to do it every day. If your child prefers to read on their own, you can limit your read-alouds to one or several weekly sessions. That's enough to give you and your child the shared experience of listening to and discussing books together. Whatever time you have to spend reading aloud or listening to books together will help sear a love of reading into your child's brain, a love that will be with them forever. Step three is to share the ideas, delights, and personal growth that come from books. Books are an extraordinary window into the world for children and adults alike. They open us to places and people and ideas we've never seen before. They offer us a vehicle to reflect on our own emotions and to begin to form a vision of what kind of human behaviors are admirable and worthy of emulation. 
If you're a Raise Ready Kids veteran, you know that your own reading is a foundation for your child's reading success for two reasons. One, you want your child to see you reading. You want them to imitate you. Rare is the child who listens to their parents more than they imitate them. So your first job is to model the behavior you want to see. The second reason is that you want to be talking about books all the time. Let your child know when you're excited about a new book that's coming out. Share in an age-appropriate way what you're learning from your current book and how it's impacting you. Your child may not understand everything you say, but they're registering your enthusiasm. You want your child to feel like they're part of a little society of special people who talk about really important ideas and share insights from books. As they build their independent reading skills, they too will see it as natural to share the ideas, delights, and personal growth they are experiencing. One more point here. In general, don't reward your child for reading. Some schools do so, but if you do it at home, you're actually working against your long-term goal. The reading scholar Daniel Willingham explains this well. Suppose, he says, you tell your child they're not allowed to play video games or whatever else they love to do until they've read at least one chapter of their book. By making something the child wants contingent on reading, he writes, you've made it clear that reading is work. That's the opposite of what you're going for. Your child must experience reading as pleasurable. Otherwise, they're not going to choose to do it on their own later when they've got other alternatives. The same goes for setting a minimum amount of time your child must read each day, beyond what your school might already suggest. Willingham writes, You don't say, I want to see you out on that swing set for at least 20 minutes a day, mister, and swing like you mean it. We expect rewards for doing things that people don't like to do, and that's not how we want our children to think about reading. Of course, your school may have time requirements for reading, and that's okay for them to do. But that's all the more reason why you need to do it differently. Your focus is different from your school. You're 100% focused on getting your child to fall in love with reading. Finally, step four of book club culture is to create distraction-free zones where reading can flourish. There are many activities that compete with reading, sports, socializing, and homework to name a few. However, in most families, it's screen time that competes most directly. Like reading, screen time takes discretionary alone time. If your child is going to grow up to be a reader, they're going to have to sometimes choose reading over screen time. Daniel Willingham has a wonderful way of framing this challenge and pointing towards what we need to do as parents. Reading, he says, is like eating watermelon. It's juicy, delicious, and satisfying, especially on a warm summer day. However, the challenge is that screen time is like candy. Given the choice, most of us will reach for candy before we'll reach for watermelon. We love that candy sugar high. So, he says, there is really only one thing to do. Put the candy away for most of the time. In other words, put the screens away for most of the time. It's the best way to give your kid a fighting chance of falling in love with reading. So with the second grader, the right thing to do is to put electronic devices away for most of the time. The rule should be that screens come out for a certain amount of time each day, not that screens go away for a period. This gives your child the space and time they need to discover and get hooked by a good book. Also, you might consider allowing your second grader to read in bed for as long as they would like, rather than having to go to bed at their usual time. 
It will make them feel grown up and give them more opportunity to catch the bug of reading for pleasure. All right, second grade parents, we've covered lots of ground. The most important thing I hope you're leaving with today is an appreciation for the power of book club culture. Step one is to introduce your child to books that excite and delight them. Step two is to read aloud together all the way into middle school. Step three is to share the ideas, delights, and personal growth that come from books. And finally, step four is to create distraction-free zones where reading can flourish. With these four strategies, you'll be well on your way to introducing your child to the joys of reading. Rather than coming to understand reading as something they have to do to please their parents or do well in school, they're more likely to come to experience it as pleasurable and rewarding in and of itself. And even when they're not loving reading, they'll still read anyway, because they'll think to themselves, that's who I am. I'm a reader. And that, second grade parents, is one of the greatest gifts you can give your child, the identity of a reader. Mm-hmm.